This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Day. Welcome back to Political Theater. Catherine Lyons, one of my colleagues on the Heard on the Hill team, uh, a team that I have a warm regard for being their former editor. Uh, she is continuing a series where she has been talking to comedians uh, about their work during the coronavirus and particularly as they struggle for the most difficult thing that will ever happen to them, which is trying to find out how you can possibly make Washington, D.C. and Congress funny. So, Catherine, you talked to Dulce Sloan from The Daily Show. Uh, How did it go in your conversation? I sure did. She's great. She's a lively and fierce comedian. She's funny and she says it like it is, basically. We touched on her new podcast called That Black-Ass Show. It just premiered in April. And we also talked about her stand-up when it comes to The Daily Show versus when it comes to uh, her personal life. So that was really interesting. So she's uh, just got a lot of free time on her hands, it sounds like, with uh, <laughs> working working for The Daily Show, which is is in production every day, uh, and and then her own stand-up work and, and her podcasting. And I mean, it, it's, it must be, uh, it must have been a, a fun conversation. So thank you for, for lining that up. And we're, uh, unless you have anything more to share on that, we're going to go straight to your part, which is, which is actually the difficult part of this podcast. Mm-hmm. I just get to swoop in, introduce, and, you know, be like the, the Uber host. Sounds <laughs> great. Thanks so much for joining us. Quick background, uh, you're on Zoom with Roll Call. We're a um, Congress-centric publication in Washington, D.C., and what I do for them um, is called Hurt on the Hill. It's the lighter side of uh, politics, so we certainly try to lighten up the mood in Washington these days. Oh, fun. A lofty and noble practice. Yes. Thank you for recognizing that, Dulce. I'm just here to be an ally. I'm just here to support. Uh, Congratulations on your podcast, uh, That Black Ass Show, which sounds really white when I say it, so I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) But it just launched at the end of April. Um, Tell us a little bit about it. I know that you take a deep dive into Black shows, Black comedy, Black themes. What what made you want to do that? Um, one of the reasons I wanted to do it is like, I feel like sometimes when it comes to like black media, it's not always, it's not always being discussed by black people. And if it is, it's not always being discussed by black creatives. So I wanted to talk to, you know, comics and actors and writers, um, and performers and actors and just like 
get their opinion on these shows because, you know, like with the interview I did with, you know, Derek Gaines, he was saying that, like, he talked about Martin because Martin was significant for him because he remembers as a little boy, like, that was the, that was the loudest and hardest he'd ever heard his mother laugh. And he's like, I got to figure out how to do this. You know, like people, so that really influenced him as a person and influenced him to want to become a comic and become an actor and become a great comic because just something as simple as just seeing his mother enjoying herself and, you know, hearing about people talking about it and everyone loving the show so much and him loving it so much, it really it influenced his entire life. And do you find yourself um, refamiliarizing yourself with these shows in a different way through these conversations that you're having? Well, yes. And it's also refamiliarizing myself as watching them as an adult. Like, you know, watching Living Single as a kid was great, but watching Living Single as an adult is completely different because it's like, oh, yeah, I understand trying to, you know, balance your work and your romantic life or, you know, trying to start a business or trying to date or liking one guy and him not having, you know, I like him, but like I like him. He's not marriage material, but this guy's marriage material, but I'm really attracted to him. So there's like all of these things that as a child, I didn't understand fully. And as an adult watching them, you're like, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I dated a guy like that. He was nice, but couldn't marry that dude. My kids wasn't ugly. <laughs> so, you know, watching an adult has really had a different impact on me. And, you know, in your comedy, you've talked about uh, the struggles of being a black woman. Has those, have those struggles changed at all as a celebrity? One, I'm not a celebrity. I'm someone on TV. Uh, because like when I think celebrity, it's like, I did something with, like I did in um, a charity event with Will Smith. Will Smith's a celebrity. He came in, no one paid attention to anything else that I was saying, hosting the show. And we were in Times Square. Nobody could function. He was mobbed. That is a celebrity. Me? I'm on TV. Because if I walk into a restaurant, I'm still waiting for a tape. You understand? I'm sure you got a few followers on Twitter, okay? I've got a few followers on Twitter. You know, I've got followers on social media. But again, when I go back home to Atlanta, I'm still waiting for a table wherever I go. You know? So I'm not walking in just like, yes, give me a finest. No, it's how many? Right. So, but also, the struggles don't change. Because this is the thing. You could be a very successful, very rich black person. But if a cop pulls you over, don't know who you are, you're a black person. So being a celebrity, being famous, you have to be so famous that every cop in America knows who you are. And until you get that famous, you're still in danger, girl. And how do you make light of certain things in the news? How do you make, how do you decide what you want to make light of? Um, it, you told you, Prox, um, the way that you think about news, that you're you're filtering it through this lens of like, can I make a joke about this? We are in some weird times right now. So whether we're talking about cultural events or pandemics, how do you make a decision on what you want to make light of for, you know, the entertainment of others? It's, I talk about, I talk about what affects me. So, you know, like I didn't have any jokes about Trump until it affected me. So on when he got elected, 
one of my straight white male friends called me crying. And I was like, what do you need? You're fine. And it was, he's like, I didn't know that this was going to happen. I was like, I definitely knew this was going to happen. People hated that. People hated Hillary Clinton. Uh, and he was like, I didn't know America was so racist. And I was like, where have you been? You've been here the whole time, sir. And then, you know, and it was like, you know, the best part of uh, Trump getting elected is now because of the Electoral College, we had a color-coded map for racism. Like, all right. Oh, you didn't know that Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania was as racist as Mississippi? Take a look at this map. And so, you know, and I did that joke, you know, for the first probably year, two years he was elected. I'm like, all right, we're coming up to another election. I can't do this joke anymore. Um, but I talk about things that affect me because a lot of, because people are spending a lot of time telling comics that we, you know, what's your, what do you think your responsibility is in the age of Trump or, you know, has Trump given you, you know, a lot of material. Trump has given the Daily Show a lot of material. Trump has given political shows a lot of material. Yeah. I'm a regular person. I'm, I could probably never meet Donald Trump, but I do have to deal with the daily experience of being a Black person in America. So, like, Trump's not going to be following me through a store, but a security guard is. So, I only talk, I mainly talk about the things that affect me, influence me, things that I think about, because that's the only perspective I can write from is how I walk in nature. Would you say it's a sort of a coping mechanism for you? No. <laughs> Why would you even ask me that? Comedy is a coping mechanism for, you know, comedians. It's so it's an outlet. It's a way to create light in a situation. That's all I meant by that. Oh, that's not. That's not what comedy is. No, you've misunderstood the entire genre. There are some comedians that that is what they do, but most comedians are comedians because they're performers. I don't get on stage because something traumatic happened to me and I have to figure this out. There's a lot of, com- there are comics that do that and they're the ones that are talking the loudest about it. Comedy is not a coping mechanism because if it is, once I felt better, people would stop doing it. I'm a performer. I decided to become an actor when I was six. And then I started doing stand-up in 2009, and it was another way for me to perform. But comedy is a coping mechanism for the audience. It's not always a coping mechanism for the comic, but it's always a way for the audience to get through or forget what's going on. Again, But again, that's not why we're up there. We're up there because we want to perform for people. There have been performers for as long as there have been people. There's always been singers, there's always been actors, there's always been dancers, there's always been storytellers. We are storytellers, we're performers. It's not about therapy every time all of us go on stage. So You've performed at the Kennedy Center in D.C. Do you feel that with your Washington audiences, there is a sort of desire to escape this reality, this political reality that we live in? I don't know. I didn't ask them. <laughs> I got up and did my jokes. I don't know. I'm, I don't, I can't analyze every audience because the thing is, is every audience is dealing with who the president is. Every audience has to deal with what the political climate is of the entire country that they live in. But I'm not taking a temperature of everyone before the show, when they leave the show. All I can do is talk about what I think is funny and what I want to talk about. 
That's why they asked me to come. They asked me to come because I'm me. And I talk about what I talk about and I talk about my experiences. I'm not a comic who bases my material on what the audience wants to hear because that always changes. I'm a comedian who talks about what I want to talk about. And as uh, a correspondent for The Daily Show, you do dabble in politics a little bit. You poked fun a little bit at uh, Cory Booker and Kamala Harris. Cory and Kamala are fine, but if I'm completely honest, if I'm completely honest, they got a bit of an image problem. I mean, Cory's nice, but he reminds you that cousin has a tattletale. You know, even when no one asks, just snitching for the love of the game. Like, oh, she did this! <laughs> ah. And then Kamala looks like a mean vice principal, you know? <laughs> she just comes up to you, like, don't say, I want what's best for you. Which is why I'm giving you detention. Corey, thank you for coming right to me. Was that more so because they were on the national stage? Do you have any um, Congress jokes? Or is that just um, not as of interest as the national election? What I talk about on The Daily Show and what I talk about on my personal stand-up were two different things. Daily Show is a political show and we're talking it's a news show so we talk about the news so since Kamala Harris and Cory Booker were the national news because it's a national show it's a worldwide show so we have to be able to speak to what is what are the biggest stories what are the stories that are affecting the most people if you're a political candidate you're talking about being president in the entire country so we talk about a lot of times like national news stories and we do, and then with the correspondence, we can talk about those local news stories and those local events, and we can break it down and bring it closer to people's homes. Um, but we are talking to a larger fan, we're talking to a large audience base. So we have to talk about what's happening nationally and what's happening in the news. So we talk about Cory Booker, we talk about Kamala Harris, we talk about you know Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders because they were running for president. I want to ask you uh, about uh, Kimmel's uh, bit the other night where he uh, took a edited video. It wasn't completely accurate, and he did issue an apology. At one point of the video, after awkwardly lugging a heavy box to the door, Mike Pence finds some empty boxes in the back of the van. Why there were empty boxes in the back of the van, I don't know, but he finds them. He says, can I just carry the empty ones just for the camera? which turns out he was joking. How anyone could tell when Mike Pence is joking, I don't know. I didn't know, but he was joking. I didn't know because I'd only watched part of the video. It turns out there were 29 minutes of this on C-SPAN that apparently indicate he was joking about carrying the empty boxes for the cameras, which again, I didn't know because I don't have the mental endurance it requires to watch Mike Pence deliver boxes for 29 minutes on C-SPAN. And he, you know, admitted to not having all of the facts with him for this particular bit. And I'm wondering, does does the fact side of comedy ever scare you at all? Do you feel like you have to have all your facts straight before you speak to something, before you make a joke out of it? I can't speak on Kimmel, you know, because I would rather see the video. Right. But what I can't, when it comes to me, like I had a joke about how I had a joke about New York, and so. I was talking about the population density in New York. And so I made sure, you know, I was talking about, you know, 80, you know, because 8.5 million people live in New York City. And I was saying, like, and all these people live in like 40 square miles. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. New York can be, New York City can't be 40 square miles. It's huge. 
So I had to look up how big the city was of technically like where technically all these people live, because then I break it down. Like, you know, there's 8.5 million people living in this many square miles. That means that that's 7,000 people per square mile, which means that there's, you know, a thousand people on my block and then there's 200 people in my apartment. So for me, for that joke, I had to know how everything broke down. So for me, I think it's important because people of the fact check, we live in an era of trolls and people commenting on everything. So since people like to fact check, I make sure my facts are straight because I don't want somebody coming back to me going, well, that's not right and it's not right. Just that's a personal preference. Now, I skim over stuff or kind of, you know, have fun with information sometimes. Yeah, but if I get something wrong, I also go, okay, y'all, no, 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 no. Somebody told let me fix this. Because, you know, some there's there's absurdity and then there's just false. Isn't it part of the art form, though? It's, you know, you're not a journalist in the sense that you are giving people facts. You are making light of situations. And that's part of the art form where you don't have to be held accountable for correct and accurate numbers. You're just making a joke out of something. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, it's because I also have a joke where I go, you know, if the Lord ever sees fit to bless me with a dragon, I'm burning New York down. Like, (laughs) Jesus loves me, but I'm never going to get a fictional creature to destroy a city. So, you know, there's a way that you can play on the reality and the, you know, reality of situations and kind of flip them. So we all have to live in the world where the sky is blue and the grass is green. So there's just certain things that we got because you have to establish a commonality with people. And it's like, we have a shared experience and then let me play off of the shared experience. So how other people feel about facts. I mean, we've also have somebody who has coined the term fake news and now people will not believe anything that's presented in front of their eyes if they don't want to believe. It. So if the society, if there's large members of society who can believe that, you know, the earth is flat, or uh, climate change isn't real, or other little goofy-ass things that people say, we're all playing with facts right now. And that's just the campaign we're on right now. So we'll say, what's next for you? What are you working on? I'm working on the podcast, and then I am working on a cartoon for Fox called The Great North. Um, it's from the uh, studio that does Bob's Burgers. So <clears throat> I'm working on that right now. I went for that to come out, and then just still working on the show. Can you give us a peek at some of the shows that you're going to be talking about on uh, your podcast? Um, I'm going to be, I have an a episode with Thea Padal, um from the show Thea. She's still a touring comic. Um, we've talked about the show Girlfriends. We've talked about the Jeffersons. Um, we talked about an amazing mockumentary called CB4 uh, with Ron Funches. So, you know, we're just lining up some really fun interviews with some of my favorite creators. You know, me and Ashley Nicole Black talked about Black Lady Sketch Show and Scandal, which we both love that show. Yeah. You guys have fun on that show. You guys have fun. Yeah, because most of the people I'm interviewing, I'm actually friends with. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I hadn't really met Thea. You know, Justin Simeon talks about um, Dear White People, and he talks about his movie Bad Hair that's coming out. And I didn't get to know, and I didn't know him, but, you know, we still, you know, we still had fun in the interview. Uh, Because, again, you know, we have a shared background, shared experience. Um, 
because I think with me being a performer and being a creator and being a creative, um, you know, I get to ask questions to other creatives because I understand their perspective and their experience. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dulce. Uh, we hope that you stay well and healthy. You too. Thank you. Sure. And we look forward to seeing what you create next. Thank you so much. That's going to do it for this episode of Political Theater. I want to thank Heard on the Hill's Catherine Lyons again for doing all the hard work and talking to Dulce Sloan as part of her ongoing series, Seriously Funny. And thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, tell a friend. We're everywhere fine podcasts are listened to. Political Theater is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is owned by Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company.